Today we continue our worship series called You Are Not Alone. Life can be wonderful, but it also can be challenging at times. And no matter who we are, we all face challenges. Sometimes we might wonder, am I the only one dealing with this? Am I alone in this struggle? To prepare for this series, we asked hundreds of people from our church and community to name things that cause them fear or anxiety. And in this series, we're addressing common responses. We're considering practical steps for working through our fears and sources of anxiety. And we're reflecting on fear and anxiety in light of God's promises. You can learn to live with courage and hope. In recent weeks, we focused on several different topics. Week one was the difficult uh, family dynamics coming right out of uh, the holiday experiences we had with extended family. And then last week, the, session, the, the topic that we looked at was equally important, comparison or performance anxiety and how in a variety of ways that can lead us to worry, to fear, to be anxious. And as a quick reminder, we post the sermon each week on our website. So if you'd like to listen to any of the other messages from this series or any other series, uh, you can do that through sprychurch.com. This morning, we're going to talk about money, about money. And what we'll find is Jesus actually has a lot to say about money. And that what he tells us is such good news. Such good news. If we're going to be serious about following Jesus, we need to pay careful attention to what he says about this topic, just like any other. We don't get to choose which teachings of Jesus we want to follow and which ones we want to overlook or set aside. That would be putting ourselves above Jesus. In fact, there's a great deal of freedom that comes with submitting ourselves to Jesus. And we can experience that freedom in every area of life, including money. In one sense, we might think, this is such a personal subject. Why should it be discussed here? It's like, my money is mine. It should be a private matter. I understand we can have that kind of instinctive reaction. Yet, not only does Jesus talk frequently about money, money was one of the most common responses in our survey. You all set the agenda, by the way, for this series in the responses you gave last fall. So if you'd rather not hear a talk on money, you have no one to blame but Jesus and yourselves. Seriously, it's telling and, and not really surprising that the topic of finances came up so frequently in the survey results. When asked to name three sources of fear or anxiety, many people wrote comments like these, having enough money, finances, financial worries. Even when the economy is doing quite well overall, our perception often comes down to what that means for me and for my situation. And there can still be underlying fears 
anxieties or worries that come into play. That's one reason why what Jesus says is so important. Because yes, there's what a financial statistic or report might say, there's what this or that economic indicator might say, and there's what my current circumstances suggest, but there's also what Jesus says. And while those other things can and do change from time to time, Jesus offers us timeless truth. Our reading for today comes from the greatest sermon ever given. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. So in the New Testament, we have four of what we call Gospels. And these are eyewitness accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew provides one of those accounts. This section begins with Matthew saying this about what Jesus does and says in in a, a section of the Bible, while that it's all important, it's all the Bible, it's all God's word to us, this section really speaks clearly about who God is and who we're called to be. And here's how it begins. Matthew says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and he began to teach his disciples. So that's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on a mountainside, and he begins to teach from there. And the words Jesus teaches in that sermon are among the greatest words ever spoken. They're words we'd expect to hear from God himself, and that's who Jesus is, God in flesh and blood, fully divine and fully human. Jesus has come into this world to show us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has come to bring God to us. In all that that means, encompassing all the different aspects of our lives, every area of life, individually and together, including this important area of life, dealing with money. In the passage right before this morning's reading, Jesus talks about treasures, and he says this about money. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and pests destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures, treasures in heaven where moths and pests do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying something extraordinary here. He's saying our hearts follow our treasure. For a long time, I thought it was just the other way around, that our treasure or our money follows our hearts, or that we put our money toward what's already in our hearts, what we care about. I still think that's true, but there's more to it than that. Jesus is saying that where we put our treasure, or what we do with our money, or how we think about money, determines where our hearts are. How we handle money, our attitude toward money, doesn't just reflect what's already in our hearts. Our approach to money actually directs our hearts and shapes our hearts, either in good and healthy ways or not. And Jesus then says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God 
and money. In other words, there's only room for one supreme commitment in our hearts, one highest devotion. And Jesus says we can't serve both God and money. We have to decide where our ultimate allegiance lies. Those are the words that lead into our reading for today. And our reading begins with a simple but really significant word, therefore. Therefore means so, consequently. Because of this, then that. So only by understanding what comes before the therefore can we really grasp what comes next. And Jesus has just been talking about storing up treasures in heaven and about how we can and should think about money and handle money in ways that reflect what matters most, what's truly lasting. He talks about choosing to serve God above all, and that's on the first side, the front side of the therefore. He says that, and then he uses that word therefore to tell us what's next, to tell us what we've heard in our reading for today. And that, in short, is this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now, come on, Jesus. Don't worry. Don't worry. Is this just kind of a platitude? Don't worry, be happy? No. There's actually a great deal of substance to what Jesus means by this. And so let's dig in and find out. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they are? It's striking, I think, that as Jesus is teaching us about a proper perspective on finances and possessions. He reminds us how valuable each one of us is in the eyes of God. Don't lose sight of that. That's so important. And yet still, Jesus' words are so challenging, aren't they? The great challenge is putting Jesus' words into practice. I mean, his instructions here are clear. Don't worry. But the standards seem impossibly high, don't they? Because we all tend to worry about all kinds of things. I know I do. And yet, nothing is too hard for the Lord. So with his help, we can learn to worry less and live more. And I do think that's the proper way to consider the relationship between worry, fear, anxiety, and truly living. That there's an inverse relationship. And that the less we worry, the less we give ourselves over to fear, to anxiety, the more we truly live. Or vice versa. Jesus commands me he commands you not to worry about your life 
material things or the financial resources needed for them. Think ahead, plan ahead, but don't worry ahead. This is so hard for me. Sometimes I borrow trouble. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes I borrow trouble in all kinds of ways by worrying ahead. Maybe you can relate. The truth is, we can trust our Heavenly Father to provide. He knows your every need. Jesus asks, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And what a penetrating question. I mean, it goes right to my heart. In other words, basically, let's stop and consider, well, what's the value in worrying? <laughs> what does it do positively for us? Does it help us? Does it give us more time? Does it improve our circumstances? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Of course, the answer is no. None of us, by worrying, can add a single hour to our life. As Corey Ten Boom put it, worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, but it empties today of strength. So what can we do? Live in day-tight compartments. Live one day at a time. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. I need to hear this as much as anyone. <laughs> Jesus says each day has enough trouble of its own. You and I can decide today, right now, not to give ourselves over to worries or fears. Now, the worries and the fears and the anxiety will come, but there's a difference between encountering them as they come working through them, keeping them in proper perspective on the one hand, and on the other hand, giving ourselves over to those worries, giving ourselves over to those fears and to those anxieties. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Trust God to provide for you one day at a time. You can also learn to sort out your priorities. Jesus tells you to change your ambitions and priorities. I mean, I love this about Jesus. And when we think Jesus, it's, it's often we think, oh, he's the one who, you know, he smiled all the time. He was so gentle. He was so patient. He had a bunch of lambs around him and he petted them. And, you know, that's kind of the image we think of when we think of Jesus. But there's so much more than that because Jesus ruthlessly goes right to the heart to my heart and to your heart, and he wants your heart. Make no mistake about that. He wants my heart. And he tells you and me to change our ambitions and priorities. So we can seek God for who he is above all. Seek God for who he is, not what he can do for you. Like us, God doesn't want his friends only to be interested in what they can get out of him. Have you ever had friends like that? I mean, you wonder if they're true friends. If it seems like they're just kind of interested in coming alongside of you so they can get something out of you. Do they really care about you? Or do they just care about what you can do for them? And like us, God doesn't want his friends only to be interested in what they can get out of him. 
He wants you to seek his presence, E-N-C-E, not just his presence, E-N-T-S. Jesus calls us to take on a new set of responsibilities that are both exciting and challenging. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This section of the Sermon on the Mount ends with one more, therefore. After instructing us to seek God's kingdom first, Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. The message is focus on the promises of God. He is faithful. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen later. God will help you deal with whatever difficult things come up when the time comes. In a message that's supposed to be about finances, I realize I haven't really talked about finances much at all. We've been looking at the issues underneath the surface that can affect our attitude toward money. Sometimes we can get the wrong impression, though. We might think money is bad, like it's inherently evil. And the truth is, money itself is morally neutral. What matters is how it's used and what our motivation is. In his first letter to Timothy in the New Testament, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to say, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I wonder if there are many in our society today who are willing to learn to be content. I wonder if you and I are willing to learn that in a world that tells us we should always be seeking more. And that more money, more pleasure, more stuff, you name it, will make us happy, will give us peace, will lead to contentment and lasting satisfaction. But does it ever? Aren't we always left longing for more material gain, if that's our focus? Paul is often misquoted as saying, money is the root of all evil. What he actually says is, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money can do a lot of good, but the love of money is extremely dangerous. Disordered desires toward money lead to all kinds of problems, envy, greed, breakdown of relationships, maybe stealing or worse. The love of money, a disordered desire for it, can lead to those harmful outcomes. But having a proper perspective on money means, means a balanced view, a balanced view that helps us see clearly. Lasting security, I mean, isn't that what we long for financially and in other ways? A guaranteed promise that it will be okay that we will be cared for. Lasting security, it only comes from putting your hope in God. 
There are other promises we hear out there, guaranteed rates, guaranteed returns. There is only one thing I can say without qualification, no matter what, that is a surefire, guaranteed promise to lasting security. And that is available to you and me. And that comes by putting our hope in God. The promise of God's word is that those who put their hope in God find a firm foundation and take hold of the life that is truly life. But for those times when we do face fears or anxiety related to money and finances, what can we do? I want to close with two responses. The first is learn, learn. Learn practical financial principles and skills from trusted sources to help you. A great way to do that is through a program called Financial Peace University. Uh, this proven program has changed over five million lives, and it's made a difference in the lives of dozens of families here at Spry. I have to admit, the first time I heard about this, I thought, why is the word university in there? Like, university means a college. It means official training, you know, with a diploma and all that stuff. And I still think it's a bit loose how the word's being used, but I get the idea because it is training. This is training in very practical matters that have a difference and impact our lives each day. And through this course, you can discover the biblical and practical skills needed to make decisions with your money that will enable you to accomplish your financial goals. Molly and I took the class about five years ago, and, and we benefited greatly from it. It shows you how to get rid of debt, manage your money, spend and save wisely, leave a legacy, and more. Recently, a friend of mine said uh, he's working on the family budget, and he couldn't be more grateful to Financial Peace University for teaching him and his family how to manage money well. And he said this. He said, now that my wife landed a job after grad school, our shovel is bigger, and our debt snowball doesn't stand a chance. You know, we had a bit of snow this last week. And I don't know if you had to go out and shovel. But you know the difference between having a really tiny shovel and a larger one or a snowplow, and he's saying they were able to figure out how they can put a plan together for their life that amounts to a much bigger shovel so that they can go after their debt snowball. And you know what's tragic about many people, and this is of people of a variety of ages. It's not as simply as simple as saying just in this one age category, but what's tragic about many people in our lives, to, in our world today, and particularly in the U.S. today, is that they're building up debt, and the debt snowball has, has accrued, and with every revolution, it's picking up more and more and more, to the point where it is dangerously unmanageable. And maybe some of you can relate. What are we going to do? We can't ignore that. For many, what contributes to fear, anxiety, or worries in the area of finances is not having a plan. Without a plan, we're basically drifting. We may not know where we are or where we're going. We all need a plan. 
And this course will help you develop a plan for your money based on your goals. A number of people indicated in our survey that finances is a source of anxiety or fear. You might be doing well in terms of income, retirement, or whatever, but you could still have a steady undercurrent of fear and anxiety when it comes to this area of your life. It's that kind of nagging feeling that we just can't seem to get away from. And no matter how much we try, it's still there. What's the opposite of fear and anxiety? Peace. Peace. This class is called Financial Peace because that's what it will help you find. We're offering it on Monday night starting February 10th. It lasts nine weeks. See the details in your bulletin to sign up. Highly recommended. And another way for us to work through our fears and anxiety around money is to act wisely. Learn and act. That's a powerful combination. Part of what that means is being generous. We can face down our fears about money by giving. I know that sounds counterintuitive. I'm telling you that's how it works. We can face down our fears about money by giving. Share your resources. John Wesley said, when I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Generosity is the way to break the hold of money in our lives. Be extravagantly generous. You know, every one of you has been created in the image of our loving and lavishly, extravagantly generous God. And the more you respond to God's grace, and the more that generosity is cultivated in your life, the closer you get to fulfilling the very purpose for which God made you. You can learn to be generous and to grow in generosity. And there are such significant benefits that come along with that now and forever. Everything you have ultimately comes from God. So we can learn to be willing to share that with others. And as you do, you'll find freedom and great joy. And I want to say this. I'm so proud of you, Spry Church, for your generosity. I mean extraordinary generosity, which we see in so many ways and which allows us to expand ministry and to touch more lives with the love of Jesus. Just one example is our Christmas missions offering to support kids in need. You gave $17,900. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. You are so generous. And that money will make a difference for kids in need through our partners in Guatemala and locally. Think about this. Every day here in our community, hundreds of parents have to choose between putting gas in their cars, paying rent, or buying food for their children. Every day, right around us, hundreds of families and kids struggle with food insecurity. Because of your giving, hungry kids in our community will get healthy food. Because of your generosity, every Friday, 
through our partner schools. Local kids in need will get a backpack full of nutritious food to take home to their families. Can you imagine the difference that makes for these kids? You know, when Jesus says, you know, your heavenly father will provide for you, he knows that's true. And here's part of how that works. It's that we're actually part of God providing for others, too. God provides for others through you. And that changes how we can view money. It changes how we can view giving. It changes how we can view and think about our financial circumstances, whatever they may be. We're part of a larger purpose, being used by God to bless others. You and I can play our part in how the Lord fulfills his promise that he will provide and that we are never alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your unwavering faithfulness. Help us worry less and live more. Help us not put our hope in wealth, but put our hope in you. Give us wisdom in this important area of life. Teach us to be good stewards of your resources and to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness in all things. Come, Holy Spirit. And would you go to the deep places in our hearts, those places of fear, anxiety, worry, those burdens we carry, whether related to finances or to relationships or to other parts of our lives, our physical health perhaps, whatever burdens we carry, whatever fears, whatever worries, whatever sources of anxiety, we're facing now. We open ourselves up to you, Lord. Give us your peace and lead us in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name and as he taught us, now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven. <laughs>